Hello, everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and with me today, I have Jennifer Cooper. She's the Vice President of Strategy Analytics at JPMorgan Chase, and she loves data and talking about data. So I know we're going to have an amazing discussion to share with you that you're going to love. So I'm really excited to have you here. And why don't we just get started with you telling me about how your love for data came to be? Yeah, so really, you know, I've always loved math and science. And I really don't think of myself as a coder, per se. Um, I kind of fell into analytics. Um, you know, I let me just kind of give a quick overview. So I was actually studying to be pre-med. I was interested in medicine, actually specifically genetics. So I was kind of a geek in high school. And I started out uh, taking pre-med courses and through different different sets of events and taking and working retail part time, I decided to actually change my major. Um, ended up going more like into the economics route and, and started kind of looking, you know, enjoying numbers and doing accounting and taking finance classes and all that. Well, I had a friend approach me and she said, you know what, there's this company called Northern Telecom and they're looking for co-op people at the time that meant intern, basically. And I said, cool, that sounds really, really fun. And uh, they were a very prestigious you know, company in telecommunications. And I thought this could be my first real corporate job. And so it was for a marketing analyst role and I, I got the position and um, long story short, I, I worked there for a couple of years and just fell in love with telecom. And ended up, you know, going to work for different companies. But really, at, really at that point, Daniela, I'd started working more in what I would consider more sales and marketing centric roles. So they were they were less about analytics and more about. I mean, I supported people doing, you know, some things with Excel spreadsheets and just a little, you know, doing some presentations. But it was really more, you know, more of a generalist type role. It wasn't specifically analytics. So fast forward to, you know, two thousand. Let's see, 2003, 2004, I was working for MCI and they were in the process of getting bought by Verizon and I got a call from my boss and this was like the second or third time I'd worked for a company that was getting bought or going through some things because of the whole dot-com bubble bust back in 2000. And I got a call from him and he said, um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do another layoff because, you know, uh, Verizon's coming in to buy us. And so I was like, wow, this is just crazy. I need to, I need to figure out what I'm going to do here. This is my third or fourth layoff and telecom was just going through a lot. And, and so I decided to go back and get my MBA. And, you know, at that time I had no real expectations around what I thought I would be doing or what I wanted to do other than just thinking this is going to make me more marketable. You know, I need to be more strategic about what I want to do. And I, I always kind of looked at my career like that. I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to work for this company, what's different about it? Is, is this a wholesale telecom company? Is it, a, is it a company where I'll get more, you know, interaction with customers? I was always very strategic. So anyway, got the MBA. Uh, you know, was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, and I um, was actually working for myself for a short time. I, you know, like I said, had gone through a layoff, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll just kind of do my own marketing consulting for a while. So, 
one summer, I, I want to say it was the summer of 2006, um, I basically, you know, did some uh, consulting for a couple of uh, advertising firms that were looking to build out their, uh, I guess, what we call branding um, discipline at the time. So, you know, they needed somebody that would go into an organization and kind of help them build their brand and understand, you know, what the gaps were from a market research perspective. And I actually called my company Missing Link Marketing because I felt like at the time there was a big missing link or a big opportunity in terms of, you know, what people needed to, to do to understand their customers better. And that was really, you know, doing market research and, and you know, business planning and, and really doing a lot of that front end, front end work. So I guess through that, that experience, just, you know, thinking about what I'd been through with my MBA, I'd taken a stats course. I had, you know, refreshed a lot of my knowledge around business operations and, you know, some of my business acumen. You know, I started looking for a job full time because I really knew that it wasn't sustainable to do a, to do a gig on my own. I was a, I'm a single mom and at the time. My daughter, let's see, back in 2006, uh, she was I want to say she was around 12 or so. Um, I just I needed to get insurance. I needed to be able to support her, and I thought I'd love to work you know for myself you know long term, but this isn't just isn't sustainable. So I uh, ended up talking to a recruiter. I reached out to a recruiter, I didn't know this recruiter, but I just happened to, I did some research on different recruiters in the area and found this particular one. And she said, hey, I've, I've got this position at a company called Drive Financial. And I thought, Drive Financial, I've never heard, even heard of them. And I, that was really my first foray into finance. I really had, like I said, no expectations. In fact, I'll, I'll just say this, I really didn't do that well in my finance class in college. This is embarrassing to admit, but I had to take it twice. It just, I don't know what it was. It was, there was something about, it, it seemed abstract to me, this, this idea, this concept of, you know, net present value and, and understanding, you know, you know, in, internal rate of return and being able to kind of figure out what, you know, what money today would look like in the, I don't know, in the future. It just kind of, for some reason, it didn't gel. But I thought, okay, this is interesting. I'm just going to go for it. I told her, I said, I have no coding experience. This is, it was a, uh, I think the official title was market research analyst. I said, I, I would, my first job, my first official job out of college was, you know, as a, as a marketing analyst intern for, for Northern Telecom, which I think changed their name to Nortel later. But I said, okay, I, you know, I don't, I don't know SQL, but, you know, I'm willing to, to learn. And so she got me a, a meeting, an interview with the company and the, and the uh, you know, the hiring manager, you know, he said, you know what, we're interested, in, we, we can train you. He said, we can train you to do whatever. I mean, you could pull data or that. But he said, what we really can't train people to do is to have, you know, the discipline to, or the passion to want to learn this stuff. He said, we need somebody who actually has your marketing and sales background because we're in the process probably over the next year or so of, uh, you know, having kind of changing our brand and, and ha you know, having, um, you know, this opportunity to merge with another company or we may have another company come in and buy us. And so long story short, they ended up dry financials. I went to work for my first analytics job. Ended up my, I guess that was my first finance analyst, analyst role back in 2006. They ended up becoming Santander later on. Um, they were bought by a bank called Banco Santander out of Spain. And uh, really, that was the beginning, Danielle. That was the beginning of my, uh, you know, more or less my auto finance career, my, my analytics career. Now, I've been to a different, I've, I did take a couple of other positions during the past 13, 14 years just to kind of get a feel for what else might be out there in the analytics space. So I worked for McKesson for a short time as well as FedEx, and I also worked for a small ad agency for a little bit. But predominantly, I've been in the auto finance space. Um, I started out as a marketing analyst, so a lot of people sort of see me as this marketing person. But because I worked for um, 
you know, a lot of the companies I've worked for have been focused on subprime auto finance. Um, you know, because of the nature of subprime, really, um, you know, as an analyst, you have to be very comfortable with risk and understand risk. So I guess because of that, it just kind of made sense um, here in the last, like I said, year or so, uh, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, going to work for JP Morgan uh, in, in uh, April. And, uh, you know, it, the position is really more focused on risk. I'm really not doing anything marketing. And, and that's, like I said, that's really, I think what, what got me the role was just having that, having that background in subprime and understanding risk. That's, that's been a big, a big key, I think. But, but yeah, so that's my background. That's where I'm at now. And, and, uh, you know, I, I love, I do a lot of, I guess you could say coding is a part of my job, but it's not, a, it's not the main part of what I do. It's just, it's a small part of what I do. Wow, thanks for sharing all of that. It's interesting because I yeah. hardcore relate, you know, when I was going back for my MBA, it wasn't like I was like necessarily passionate about getting an MBA or the idea of it. It was more just like, well, I'm I'm kind of lost. I don't really know what I want to do next and this prestigious looking well-rounded master's education could really help, you know? So then like I ended up getting to into analytics just from being at school and I wasn't I I didn't have the motivation to learn code like before that. The only reason I wanted to learn code is cuz I didn't want to be left behind in like the new wave of communication but that's like fear wasn't wow. really the enough of a motivator <laughs> and then you know it's yeah, like yeah. um when i started learning stats that was kind of my segue in i think it's also interesting how sometimes the things that just don't mesh during school end up being what we love doing professionally i don't know why that happens but i've seen it happen several times um <laughs> You know, I would like to know what all these languages that you know, like what are their roles in your life? Because you you are familiar with literally every data science language possible. <laughs> <laughs> so coding has become, I think, less a part of my role as I've matured in this discipline. So when I first started out, of course, it was a huge part of my role being a junior analyst. You know, I spent a lot of time in Excel and SQL. I mean, that was a big part of my day. I mean, really, I would say probably 80% of my time was spent coding and pulling data and, you know, analyzing data and putting together reports and things that, you know, kind of, you know, showcase my findings for senior management, or maybe it was, you know, following macroeconomic data and incorporating that in. And because when I worked at uh, Santander, where they were going through that, that whole thing, it was during the re recession of 2008. And so, um, you know, a lot of my time was spent, you know, doing heavy analysis because during stressful economic times, that's just every, it's all hands on deck, all hands on deck, right? Um, but as I've matured in my roles, as I've gotten into more senior roles, you know, I'm spending more time kind of, you know, helping to mentor more junior analysts and having kind of helping them and delegating a lot of that to them um, or, you know, pitching in as needed. Um, and so, you know, I guess in, in terms of the languages I know, I, you know, SQL is still my bread and butter. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know anybody who is an analyst in particular that doesn't, you know, know SQL or, or hasn't at least, you know, worked with SAS. Um, I've worked with SAS less than I have SQL, but uh, in my current role, SAS is, is our go-to uh, basically as a department, the department that I work in. So, um, and as far as knowing a lot of languages, like I said, I don't really feel like I do. So what, I, I guess, 
the, the story there is, Danielle, that, you know, I, I, like I said, I knew SQL and Excel early on, or I had to learn it on the job. And as I've matured and I've, you know, certainly gotten more interested in, I guess, a lot of the more recent buzz around, you know, open source and, you know, you know, I guess what, what people are, are referring to as big data and, and kind of how you get to that data and how you pull all that together and make sense of it. It just became, I guess, apparent to me that, you know, again, it goes back to that whole being able to market yourself and keeping yourself sharp and, and marketable. But basically, I just, I just, I knew a few days, a few years ago, my company that I was most recently was working for, they were going through some layoffs. And it seems like layoffs just kind of are a common theme here, but I didn't want to be one of those statistics. <laughs> I did not want to be one of those people. And, you know, and I just, so I've always just, I have a really, I guess I have a real active fight or flight mentality built in. And so if I feel like, I'm very proactive. I feel like something is coming down the pike and it may affect me. I just know that I've got to switch into survival mode and I need to get my, I need to look at my strengths and my weaknesses. I need to take stock of things. I need to figure out, you know, what do I need to do next to keep myself marketable? And at the time, you know, everybody was talking about data science. This was around 2015, 2016. And I thought, well, you know, I've been doing analytics for a while, but, you know, I really just kind of know SQL fast and I've, I've done some SPSS, but that was kind of more in college. So I thought, you know, I need to kind of figure out this whole open open source thing. So I just decided, you know, Python sounded cool. I thought Python, wow, that sounds kind of cool. That's a that's a big snake. Okay, this has to be pretty cool, you know. So uh, I, I didn't know anything about Python, and so I took six courses in Python, and then um, learned about some courses in R. And so that was just again just kind of me keeping myself marketable. But I don't I don't use those languages on a regular basis, and that that's. Part of the, I guess, the frustration I have is if you don't learn, if you don't keep keep using these things on a regular basis, you're you're not really, they're not going to really sink in. So, so I don't feel like to to go back to to square one. I don't feel like I know a lot of languages. I'm familiar with them. I want to make sure. So I, I tell people, you don't need to know all of these different languages. You don't need to be an expert in all of them. But certainly, I think in this day and age, it's important to at least have some familiarity. Uh, particularly as it relates to specific tools within your domain. So if your area of expertise is analytics, for example, well, you know, SQL SAS are great, but hey, R is is a really, really powerful open source language to know. Um, not only is it written in statistics, but it's it's got some powerful, um, you know, built-in, uh, you know, um, you know, machine learning capabilities and, and the tidyverse has been is just a phenomenal a phenomenal package. But I mean, I, these are just things I feel like you just need to be familiar with. You don't need to be an expert in them. Oh yeah, that makes sense, and that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. <laughs> um, R is definitely my language. I I love R. Um, but what I'm starting to realize and listening to you just now, kind of put that together in my head a little bit better, that you don't necessarily need to be a modeling expert to be data literate, you know? Like, right. I do think, I, I think that those things are separate. And the reason I think that is because everybody should be data literate, but not everybody is going to be processing financial models day and night. So, exactly. I, yeah, so I kind of want to hear your take on that, like you are a very data literate person, like to the extreme. And, you know, I guess, where would you like to see the world go in terms of being data literate? And what do you feel like it really means to have that kind of knowledge? And like, what's the bare minimum? 
Well, that's a great question. So, like you said, there's a separate uh, there's a separate notion of you know people that work within you know the data realm and work with you know data on a daily basis. That's that's a whole other you know area or subject uh, or matter of importance entirely, right? Because you know you've got to be on your game. You've got to understand the data that you're working with, but on the whole, in terms of, you know, just people in general and why I think data literacy is important. Um, first of all, we all give off what's called a digital exhaust, right? I mean, every single moment of the day we're creating, you know, if we're working with our iPhone or we're talking on our iPhone or we're on a computer or we're, you know, maybe we're at the grocery store and we're doing a transaction, we're creating data. We're, it's just everywhere, right? And it's growing exponentially all the time. And, and I think to the extent that that data continues to sort of you know, hover out in the cyber land or space or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's your footprint. That's that's who you are. You've created that data, and it's important that you understand that that digital exhaust that you're giving off that you that you've created. Um, not only from a security perspective, but just understanding what footprint you're leaving. You know, what what it, what it says about you. Maybe it's a, sim a simple Google search. You know. Being familiar with you know what you look like on Google or what you know what what your LinkedIn profile looks like. I mean, all these things are just important because it's who you are. It's, it says something about you, and you leave this mark. Okay, so that's number one. The second thing is just I think particularly in this day and age, you know, first of all, data becomes information. Information is power, and right now you've got a lot of good actors and bad actors that are using you know uh, information and data to um, for, you know from a position of power to um, influence a lot of events in our lives. And that could be, you know, something from, you know, as simple as, you know, just watching a news report and, you know, or reading, you know, reading an article and, you know, trying to figure out if that information um, is, is uh, you know, factual or if it, you know, uh, if it applies to you and how you need to consume that information and what decisions you need to make off of that. Um, and then it's also, uh, you know, you've also got, you know, COVID, you've got, you know, the data that's out there right now, people, different people talking about, you know, uh, you know, is this state reporting their data accurately? Is the state not reporting it? Is this locality, you know, you know, or do they have more deaths than this locality? And people are trying to make decisions on, you know, do we go back to work because of this? Do we send our kids back to school? So from a data literacy perspective, um, you know, it scares me that right now, you know, uh, the, the president has told, um, you know, hospitals not to send their data to the CDC, for example. Well, we don't, how, how do we know that data that's going to be sent from the hospitals directly to the, I guess, central database administrator for the White House is going to be kept, uh, first of all, under lock and key, number one, because there's HIPAA and privacy laws. Of course, that's, you know, that's a whole other aspect of this. But you know that information is is vital. That data is vital to making decisions on a daily basis. So so a lot of you know just understanding you know why data is important is it, it drives decisions. It drives decisions at all levels, not only in our personal lives, but at, you know on a day to day basis. Um, the people that are making decisions that impact all of us from a you know regulatory and and you know um, health healthcare and you know uh, financial perspective. So that's that's kind of my two cents on it. Yeah. Definitely. Lots to think about there. Um, I feel like yeah, with yeah. finance, there's always, and you mentioned it earlier, just the term floating around mitigating risk, you know, that's like the goal right. of every financial company. And I'm just, you know, I guess I, I want to make the connection between like analytics, analytics software, you know, processing languages and 
that kind of end goal for finance, how you've seen them interacting together over your many years of experience? Yeah, so like I said, my area, the, the, the domain or the discipline that I've been mainly working in for the last you know, 14 plus years has been auto finance. Um, and auto finance, you know, when you go to buy a vehicle, you know, when Danielle goes into a dealership or she goes online to Carvana or maybe she goes to her credit union or she talks to her bank about getting a, a car loan, they're going to look at certain factors. They're going to look at your, you know, your credit score. They're going to look at, you know, are you paying your utility bills on time? Um, you know, have you owned a car previously? You know, all these different things go into making a decision. It's not just your FICO score, actually. It's a lot of a broad, you know, spectrum of different features and, and attributes that go into that. So from a data perspective, all of those things become data points. Um, again, you know, it's, it's you, it's Daniel giving off that digital exhaust, right? I mean, every time you, you know, decide if you're going to pay a bill on time or maybe you, it's not a matter of deciding anymore. It's, you know, do, do I have a job? Do I have the means, right? I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now for a lot of people. But, you know, it's, it's all these factors become data points on, on us as individuals. Um, also, businesses give off that digital exhaust and they create, you know, um, you know, every time a business uh, transacts with, you know, their customers or the or vice versa, you know, they're they're um, or they pay their bills to their vendors, you know, they're they're creating, um, you know, they're, they're creating a data point of some sort um, across a different spectrum of factors. So, so to the extent that these these things get, you know, assimilated into a company's database and you know, as an, as a, well, I'll pick, for example, marketing analytics um, that I've done in the past. I've done marketing analytics and risk analytics. So from a marketing analytics perspective, a lot of that data can be used to understand your customers better or understand your prospects better. Um, you know, do you need to market differently to your subprime customers than your near prime and prime customers? Uh, how can you use that data to anticipate their purchasing decisions? From a risk perspective, you need to understand their likelihood of defaulting on a loan, for example. Um, I also have worked with, you know, folks within the auto finance space. You've still got, you know, your treasury folks. You've got your people that are, you know, looking at the balance sheet every day and, and then, you know, the, net, the um, you know, all the different things that go into running the company itself, right? So you've got the operational aspect and then you've got the customer facing and, and all of that. So, so also from just a basic um, finance perspective, you know, you need to be able to understand as a company, you know, what, you know, how, how all these different things within your company are, are, being done to produce revenue you know what are what are the different work streams within your company that are contributing most to your bottom line what happens in particularly in banking you know we can start we are concerned a lot about uh with with stress you know during economic uh downturns you know you have to look at you know what types of reserves do we need to have um in case people default on their loans all of these things impact the company as a whole so it's not just your customers it's not just you know your vendors if you can't pay your bills but it's your company being able to, you know, continue to be a going concern and, you know, be able to, um, you know, conduct, it, conduct its operations. So there's, there's a three, that's kind of a 360 degree view kind of what, you know, when I think of data and when I, when I, you know, think of what I, what I do on a daily basis and the importance of data and, in, in, you know, the big scheme of things, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Does that make sense? Definitely it does. And you're talking about the consumer leads me to a question that I didn't put on the spreadsheet, but I think is important. Um, how, cause you're at such a high role in terms of, you know, looking over not only employees, but all this consumer data and how much does security factor into your role? Like working with data security systems or at least having kind of a 
overall understanding of what it takes to keep like yourselves safe in terms of like making sure that people don't default on their loans, obviously, but like also customers data and how do you assure them their data is safe? Yeah, that's a great question. And like I said, within, um, you know, finance or within risk, it's a paramount concern um, specifically as it relates to, um, you know, what we call, you know, you know, customer identifiable data or PPI, I think it's PPI is the acronym in some spaces, but, um, you know, we have to guard that with our lives. It's, it's everything. It's, it's basically the bank's reputation in the case of, you know, where I work now, working for one of the largest banks in the world. Um, we take that extremely seriously. It's, it's, you know, for example, I just, just, you know, as an individual, as an analyst at the company, I have to go through several, several, several different checks and balances just to get access to certain data, data, parts of our data warehouse. I have to put in requests to be able to get access and there's certain security levels and roles that are, you know, set up and how, you know, that determine how you can get access to that, that data. Um, and then once you have access to the data, they're constantly monitoring it to make sure that, you know, you don't have, you're, you're not just storing files out there that have, for example, customer account numbers. Um, if, if they find that you've got that kind of information out there, it's not bad. You need this information sometimes to be able to, uh, you know, make decisions. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of gets into a whole other gray area too around regulation and what we're allowed to keep and for how long, but, and how we're allowed to use it, but, you know, um, you know, and make decisions. But, but yeah, on a daily basis, um, you know, I have to be constantly aware and cognizant of what I'm storing and the company, comp you know, monitors that. So not only from a customer, like I said, identifiable information perspective, but also from a from a security perspective. I mean, we don't want somebody to be able to get their hands on that information. So it's kind of it's 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 almost a religion <laughs> in, in, a, in a bank the size of the company that I work for um, and other companies I've worked for. It's, it's obviously been a big deal, too. I mean, it's just you, you can't you, you know, you can't. Um, First of all, you can't make decisions on certain things like it's, you know, whether it's age, race, color, creed, I mean, all those things. You can't make auto decisions, for example, or loan decisions based on that information. So you're constantly having to go through audits and make sure that, you know, you have people watching you and, and you know, auditing your books to make sure that you're, you know, when you do an analytics, for example, that you're not using those things to make decisions. They're auditing, you know, your scorecard. Um, which is basically your decision model that you build to, you know, decide whether or not someone qualifies for a loan based on different factors. Well, those factors cannot be, you know, Danielle's age or Danielle, you know, the fact that you're a female versus a male or whatever. I mean, those are just, that's just taboo. You don't, we can't do that. So, so that's kind of, I mean, you know, like I said, that's, that's just something within our particular industry that's a huge, huge factor. And we take it extremely uh, seriously and we're audited on, and, you know, on a regular basis and we're subject to, a lot of regulation around around that so um you know it's it's very serious yeah i'm glad to hear you say that because my whole you know vision right now for data femme's role in terms of advocacy is all about ending the bias that we see in ai and when systems are automated yeah. based on all these factors that can really happen a lot and i mean i'm probably most concerned with you know how that impacts the black community right now but i'm also you know very concerned with how you know any of these systems could 
result in inequality for women and non-binaries too. Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that there are so many systems in place to guard against that because I think a lot of people are definitely failing to prioritize that over innovation. Um, and there are just so many dangerous trade-offs happening right now as it is. I mean, I know that we met because we were talking about Data Science Go. And I was just so appreciative that you posted that, um, you know, your code to your network because that is a wonderful conference and I was so happy to get to go. Um, and oh, you're welcome. yeah, it was a real treat. <laughs> and I am wondering how you see these, these events being really important for people who are trying to work up in the field and like, how can we best take advantage of those and how can we use those to promote the kind of diversity and representation that we want to see in the space? Well, that's a phenomenal question. There's a lot, a lot there to kind of unpack, but I mean, in the, in general, I think it's important, particularly right now, and you've got so many people interested in data science and so many aspiring, you know, analysts and data scientists that are, are coming up through the ranks or just starting out and just trying to figure out how to navigate the landscape. These conferences, I think, are, critical to breaking down the barriers and helping people get together to understand. It's kind of like a fellowship, right? It's kind of like a club of people who, you know, we understand what it's like to be, you know, um, confused and starting out. We've all been there at some point. We didn't know what courses to take or we didn't know, you know, if I need to know this programming, programming language or, you know, whatever. But, I mean, that's from just a, from a general just breaking down the barriers and networking perspective and just having that fellowship with other people that are doing what you want to do. You need that opportunity to, to meet other people so you can sort of, you know, get a feel for what it's like and understand what some of the challenges are. It's not all rosy and there's no silver bullet. So you need to understand, you know, all of that. Data Science Go in particular is extremely special. Um, I've been to other data conferences before I went to Data Science Go. I've been to, you know, different conferences in general, not just data, but, you know, throughout my years of, of working. And Data Science Go, I'd heard about it, and I thought, you know, this sounds really interesting. I remember back, I want to say it was around 2016 or so, or maybe it was when Kirill Aramenko was first um, talking about it. I think he was his first one. It was really small, and it, there wasn't a lot of buzz about it. But I think I, I think I listened in on it. He had, a, he had it set up where you could, like, you could listen in or you could, um, you could, uh, kind of dial in as a webinar or whatever. And so I kind of got a feel for it. I thought, this is this is kind of cool. This is different. This is this is a more of an intimate setting of people who are really passionate about, you know, data and are getting together and kind of like I said, sort it's sort of like a family. They they want they want to bring people in and, and he I think he wanted to keep things purposely small for a while, you know, to kind of just get people comfortable with the idea. But I decided to attend for the first time in 2018 in person, and it just changed my life. It literally changed my life. I, you know, I, like I said, I've been working with data for a while, and I've been doing this, and I love what I do. I absolutely love it. But it just got, and I, I'd been hearing about data science. I thought this is just, this is just weird. Like, why? What is this data science that everybody's talking about? What is big data? I don't understand what all the, the fuss is. Well, when I went to the conference, it just broke down. It, like, it, it just. It, it, it helped me to see that this is not something that we should all be intimidated about. This is not something that, you know, as a, as a woman, for example, you know, I, I shouldn't be, you know, worried about trying to learn all these new programming languages or I shouldn't be worried about, you know, am I going to be able to, you know, it, it, do I need to become this data scientist? No, I mean, data science is, is just 
to me and, and what I came away with was, you know, data science is just a new way of, of, of sort of, I guess, a new term of, of just, you know, referring to all of these different disciplines that have come together um, to to work on modern day problems, right? So AI is a big part of that and understanding, you know, like you said, some of those trade-offs. So I think what what was what's special about DSGO is it's it's really focused on bringing people together in a small, intimate way and helping to dispel those myths that data science is something that you have to have all of this, this you know, formal training or that you have to be this, you know, this PhD or you know, have, um, you know, have a, a big degree or something, right? It, you know, it's it's about, I mean, one of the big things that, that we talk about at the, at the conference is that you don't have to have all of this. You can, you know, anybody can become a data scientist because there are so many different areas within data science. There's so many different, you know, disciplines. Anybody can, can work with data. Anybody can pick up a data set and start, you know, solving problems with that data. So what I really like about DSGO is, is, you know, the commitment to breaking down those barriers and helping people understand that this is, you know, trying to find a common language and it, it's all it's all about helping each other. It's really a family. I, when I left the 2018 Data Science Go, Danielle, and I came back home, I just felt like I had been changed. I was so motivated and I'd met people that I'd looked up to on LinkedIn and I just thought, wow, this is so neat. These people are doing some really cool things. I remember, you know, just watching some of the presentations and them talking about the problems they were solving, and it just really hit home for me. And so I really think if you're going to choose a conference to go to, Data Science Go is definitely one to go to. Of course, Carol just did the, the virtual Data Science Go, and that's the one I shared the link on. But I highly, highly encourage people to get involved with the, um, the data science community, you know, vis-a-vis -vis Data Science Go and um, you know, I think he's. I think he moved the live event this year from October uh, to. I think it's in. I want to say it's in March or April of next year. But I highly encourage people to go. It's it's an awesome experience. Yeah, I can't wait for these events to be in person again because it really is life changing. Um, not that. I think a lot of people have done a very good job with switching to virtual, and you know, in some ways maybe. I have learned more, made more connections because I'm not distracted by all the buzz of what's going on and I can go back and watch these events and kind of be in two places at once, you know, um, yeah, and yeah. I'm not as tired because conferences can be very tiring, running from place to place, getting up at eight, et cetera. Yeah. Um, at the same yeah. time, nothing beats that buzz of being there in person. like. I yep. feel like even if I don't meet as many people, I always connect with two or three people that I stay in touch with forever and become really good friends with. And then like the oh, inspiration yeah, of just being in that room is so electric, you know? So I'm really happy yeah. to hear you say that about Data Science Go. I definitely look forward yeah. to going and I feel that way. I do want to ask you, you know, as somebody who's made so many strides in both finance and analytics, like what would you say to um, people coming up from the ground up, you know, wanting to get into data, wanting to improve representation, especially young women wanting to get in the field? Um, what are your best tips for them and how can they um, like get direction and stay motivated? 
Well, I was very fortunate. I had two parents that were very supportive throughout my upbringing. And, you know, I never really saw things in terms of, you know, male versus female or, you know, black versus white or anything like that. I mean, it's just, you know, I was very fortunate in that way. But you're right. I mean, these are all real things we have to face, and you know, as women coming up through, you know, particularly a field like finance. I mean, I, I, I have to be honest with you that I, I, if I had a dollar for every meeting I've seen where it's been mostly men, I, I would probably be, you know, I could, you know, take a nice vacation at least. But, you know, it's, it's a very male-dominated field still. Um, you do see a few women, um, I think, in, in higher you know positions, but we still have a lot of work to do in that regard. And certainly, with everything happening right now, from a you know from a um, you know racial perspective, you know, I think there's certainly um, there's certainly still some work to do there as well. Um, I think for people, you know, for people looking at this and trying to figure out how to navigate things, um, you know, my advice would be, first of all, in terms of your career, always be very strategic. You know, think think about yourself and what really separates you from the rest of the pack. Um, you know, and I was just telling somebody else, I had a conversation with somebody, uh, I think it was yesterday, they reached out to me on LinkedIn and they were asking, they, were, they said, that, well, I'm an older individual, how do you combat ageism? And I said, well, you know, it, it is out there. I mean, these things, you, you know, I can, I can give you advice and I can tell you how you should handle it, but we all have our own stories and we all have, you know, these things are going to be there regardless of how we, unfortunately, how, how we decide to approach it. So I think the big thing is making sure that you know what, what sets you apart, understanding your strengths and weaknesses and, you know, um, looking for people that, um, you know, for example, if you're a woman and you're, and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, work your way into a certain organization, get to know other women in that organization or go to meetups, uh, go join our ladies. If you're into our, join our ladies, um, get involved with organizations and with, you know, um, get to know other women on LinkedIn or if you're, uh, you know, a, a young black person and you're interested in, um, you know, maybe becoming an analyst or you've heard about a data science opportunity or you just graduated from college and you're trying to find your first internship, you know, get to know other people that um, are facing some of those same challenges. Uh, you know, don't let things, don't let labels hold you back. That's just the worst thing any of us can do. We are all unique. We all have our own gifts to share. Um, we have a purpose. And find other individuals that share your passion. I will say this, a lot of companies, I think, particularly right now because everything going on, are taking a very hard look at their stance on diversity. I'm very, very fortunate that my company, um, and this is one of the reasons, so I was very strategic in my job search. I looked for companies that had a commitment to diversity. And when I say diversity, I'm not just talking, you know, women, you know, uh, you know, from a racial perspective, you know, you know, being open to hiring different, but I'm talking about, you know, um, age, age wise, you know, whatever, but, you know, there's different aspects to diversity. And so it's important to find a company that has those values that, that is serious about it. And so that's one of the things I look for. So I'm very fortunate to work for a company that puts their money where their mouth is and really, you know, stands by that. I've been extremely impressed with their response to what's happening. Um, and when I say there, I mean, you know, JP Morgan Chase, where I work, but I mean, there's so many companies out there that I think are taking a hard look at their stance on on diversity and, um, you know, how many people they have that are working in their ranks that are, are female or, you know, black or, you know, um, 
like you said, LGBTQ or whatever. I mean, it, it just it, it goes across the spectrum, right? So be be encouraged if you're someone just starting to look for something or you've had some bad luck in the past. Be encouraged that this is an odd time. I think where where there's an opportunity. I think companies are the good companies. Make sure I, I need to make sure I'm clear. The good companies, the ones you want to work for, are going to have a strong commitment to diversity. So that's number one. Well, that's number two, actually, along with being strategic. But I would say number three, like I said, just you know, know what you need to work on. Know, get, be smart about your networking, and talk to people to find out how do I, you know, if you if you see a certain organization, you want to get into that organization, get to know people on LinkedIn that work there, or maybe it's your current organization, you want to move up, up, you know, the ladder. You, you need to get reach out to other executives. Don't be don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Um, Look at yourself as a product. You need to develop your product. You need to understand what your what are your strengths strengths and weaknesses. If there are things about your product that are not that are needing work, maybe you need to take some programming classes. Maybe you need to um, work more on your presentation skills. Understand what it is you're wanting to do. Be clear on your goals and fill those gaps and be strategic and be confident um, that you have something special to offer that nobody else has because there's only one Danielle. Well, that is very inspirational for me and for everybody else listening, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for sharing your expertise, your thoughts, your time. I really enjoyed this, and I hope to see you back on here again in the future. For all of you listening, I just want to let you know that I am in the process of starting a YouTube channel for Decayo Data, which will be a little bit less formal than this podcast and hopefully a platform where we can have casual updates and discussions with one another. So stay tuned for that. I will be posting about it on Twitter at Decayo Data and also on the blog and in the newsletter, which you can sign up for at decayodata.com. And as always, if you're enjoying the episodes in season two, please feel free to become a patron of Decayo Data's Patreon. It really helps to have your support. And there's also some extra new special perks that are detailed on that site at patreon.com slash datafem. So definitely go visit there and see what's up. And I will see you next week.